Open the laptop to type. I put my name into Skype. Some blog we're going to hype. And now they're on the pod. We're talking football and things happening in wrestling rings. But you just ask which one sings. You're listening to the pod. Don't tell your parents. Vandenberg killed the Barons. Is it time to fire Ferrens? Ask the scout.com at baby. You're listening to a sonic bomb blast of stats and dick jokes. Black Heart Gold Podcast. Totally amateurish. Not even broadcast. Sometimes in Spanish. Black Heart Gold Podcast. You hear the ice cubes in our rocks glass. We don't even edit. Black Heart Gold Podcast. There aren't that many words that rhyme with podcast. Let's start the interview. Black Heart Gold Podcast. Black Heart Gold Podcast, episode 87. A uh, very rare and very necessary double podcast this week. Uh, Patrick Vint, we're hoping to be joined soon by Ross WB. He's on his way home from the office and uh, he's running a little bit behind, but hopefully he'll be beeping us soon to, to join the conversation. And uh, for the first part of our show, what a conversation it is, uh, uh, Brent Urena uh, from Big Ten Network, who uh, has been working diligently on the, uh, the top five uh, at each position during the Big Ten Network era for BTN.com. Um, uh, obviously, uh, has has heard a little bit from Iowa fans in the last uh, couple of weeks. Brent, how are you? I'm very good, and yeah, I've heard just a little bit, but uh, it's as I've said on Twitter <laughs> and stuff, it's not that big of a deal. I kind of enjoy it, and uh, it's all in good fun. I think, at least on my on my end, it is. Sure. No, and I think it is on on at least most fans' end as well. Although there are a few that we hear from even from time to time that we mm-hmm. know uh, take it maybe a little bit too seriously. Yeah. Um. For those who haven't been following, uh, uh, Brent has been charged with uh, putting together a list of the top five players at each position during the BTN era for the Big Ten Network's fifth anniversary. Um, he has done, um, as far as, I, I think you've done four or five positions so far, Brett. Yes. Um, uh, an Iowa player has, has featured prominently, at least in the, if not in the top five, then in the, the next five, the honorable mention section. Uh, but nevertheless, there are a couple questions, and uh, <laughs> uh, we give we give Brett a chance to, to talk one, about them. Which one do we want to start with first? I, well, okay, let's talk about Marvin McNutt. Okay. Uh, he uh, Marvin's number three on your list. I don't think anybody really has an argument with it. I, I I think Iowa fans are probably more disturbed by the fact that you didn't put James Hardy number one. Yeah. Uh, only because a... he annihilated Iowa year in and year out. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, as far as that one, I. McNutt, honestly, uh, he's he was one of my favorite players last year. But uh, I just thought, I mean, as good of a year as he had, uh, you look at what Hardy did that, with Indiana, I mean, which makes it even more impressive, I think. I mean, 16 touchdowns from a from a receiver, so that was kind of hard to top. And he had good receptions, good yards. And I mean, he was just he was almost uncoverable uh, in the red zone. I mean, he was just so big, so strong, so tall. And then uh, Eric Decker, I mean, that's that's one of my favorite players in. Uh, in the BTN era, so maybe that had a little sure. something to do with it. But I just thought he he was just so good, and I know in the the little uh, the little bio of him that I had there, I said just injuries kind of robbed him of a uh, productive senior year. I think he missed like four games, and with these things, like it's always going to be everyone's going to see it differently. There's always different parameters, and some people are like, well, sure. he got hurt, so how can you say he was robbed of the numbers? Which I agree with, but at the same time, it's like, well. He had those great numbers. He still missed like five games, 
Uh, and I mean, I, what what Decker did with no running back basically at all during his career, and uh, not really a good number two receiver. I just think that, right. that it's just incredible what he was able to accomplish. And maybe I viewed that a little bit too much, or more than another person would. But uh, I I still think Decker, you know, all uh, including all the Big Ten receivers, I would still say like I I want him on my team first as a wide receiver. How dare you say that Hale Carpenter wasn't a capable second receiver? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there was there was a little bit of of uh, comment section fun with with the fact that DJK wasn't mentioned, but I really can't argue with the guys you have mentioned in your next five. I mean, all five of them are great guys: Nick Toon, Mario Manningham, Devin Thomas, uh, Jeremy Ebert, Dorian Bryant are all great receivers. There, there's that's a difficult decision to make on on six through ten. But it's not particularly difficult to pick those those five as six through ten. I think they probably all all surpass uh, the enigmatic Darrell Johnson Coolianos in, in that that area. And then another thing um, that uh, got some Iowa fan, or maybe a lot of uh, Big Ten fans, just the next five. Like I, I put the disclaimer in later, but it, I always do stuff in alphabetical order. So I had like I don't remember like Michael Lashore ahead of Sean Green. Lashore was <laughs> awesome, but no, Green was obviously my number six guy there, and as we'll probably discuss here in a few minutes, sure. uh, you know, he clearly had the second best uh, season as a Big Ten running back during the BTN era behind Monty Ball. I think every Iowa fan would agree with that, right? Well, let's let's go. Yeah, let's just go ahead and talk about it because I mean that's the big one. That's the one that really kind of set yeah. people off. Uh, running back, you've got Monty Ball number one, and I don't think anybody could actually honestly disagree with that mm-hmm. after last season. Um, uh, just a, a monster year for him, and combined with another couple pretty good years uh, on yeah. top of it, there's there's no doubt about it that he's he's the number one guy. Yeah. Um, Mike Hart, number two, uh, great career, but only had one year mm-hmm. on the network itself, which you said you discounted to a certain extent. But yeah. um, he had 14, 19, 14 touchdowns, and, and 50 yards receiving in his Big Ten network lifetime. But a guy who also played four years, and I I, I understand a little bit of deference to that and mm-hmm. the fact that his career, a career achievement, you know, you know, <laughs> right. Three, four, five are where I think the, the issue comes. John yeah. Clay at three, Rashad Mendenhall at four and Beanie Wells at five. Um, uh, quick, give us just the, the rationale for why you took, let's just start with Clay. Why, why was Clay number three in your, in your eyes? Okay. I had Clay number three because I just thought it, he did lose his job, as people alluded to, and I, I don't know if you would call it losing the job because he did hurt his knee, and then uh, Monty Ball and James White, you know, broke out and became who they are, especially Monty Ball. Um, but John Clay, just during the last five seasons, I felt like maybe it's the Wisconsin offense line, maybe it's Wisconsin offense, but John Clay was just money inside the red zone. I mean, he he had so many. I mean, it's not something that's that great, but he had so many just yard, two yard touchdowns. He was just automatic, like. He had so many touchdowns. He what, like forty-three 41. touchdowns, forty-one touchdowns. Yep. I mean, he, he did that in you know basically two and a half seasons, and just as again, the whole thing was taking in careers. And I know you can say Sean Green had a one-year career, and it was the only Doak Walker winner, Doak, Doak Walker Award winner, which is one hundred percent true. But uh, I was just trying to take in the career of uh, the players, and when I looked at running back, it was just like, geez. Like, at first, Mike Hart, I, I don't remember what I, I think I tweeted out, but I think I had him, like, five, and I, without doing any research, I just kind of tweeted out, like, uh, here's my without any research. And now I was just talking with some people at work, and we were like, man, he was so good, like, the previous 
years. Like his 2007 wasn't nearly what it was, what his career was before, but it was still a solid year and uh, just an incredible, you know, consistent, consistent career. So uh, he gets in there too, and maybe that maybe that was a little high just because uh, 2007 wasn't uh, as good as the rest of his career. But John Clay really came down to just how reliable he was, how many touchdowns he scored. And I alluded to it in the in his little bio, just how he was either fumbleitis or uh, you know over he battled weight issues, and he he was like a punching bag even with Wisconsin fans. I think he was. Uh, sure. But I just thought he over his two and a half three year career, he was just he was just one of the best Big Ten backs, and he put it in the end zone. And that's what you want. Um, number four on your list is Mendenhall, 1,681 yards, uh, 17 touchdowns, 318 yards receiving, and another couple of touchdowns in his one BTN season in 07. Um, again, a guy who has a, has good career numbers, although not necessarily on the level of heart by any means. No, not, half not yards, at all. No, no. With, uh, uh, touchdown. with Mendenhall, I, I kind of thought, um, like right after Sean Green, Mendenhall, he was right there with one of the best individual seasons. Uh, I mean, he had I don't, just under, I think it was like 1999 total total yards, uh, 19 touchdowns, uh, just like one fewer touchdown to Sean Green. And the thing with Mendenhall, I try to incorporate team success into it. And even though Illinois wasn't a Rose Bowl caliber team that year, they made the Rose Bowl. Uh, so that that took a little uh, that, that was considered. And then also, just his, he was just so he, he he his yards per carry he. He had he was big play. I think it was like 6.5 yards per carry. And then his year before in 2006, I think he averaged like 6.8. He had like 700 yards on, you know, like 80 carries or some incredible stat. Uh, I just thought he with the receiving on top of that too. He was a good receiver as out of the backfield. So I just thought like he was uh, he had another year, even though it wasn't as a full time starter, another year on his belt that made his overall career in my eyes just seem a little a little bit uh, stronger than Sean Green. All right, uh, and number five on your list, Beanie Wells from Ohio State, um, 2,806 yards, uh, 5.8 yards per carry, 23 touchdowns, 13 receptions for 68 yards during his Big Ten network career, which would be two years. Yep. Um, he had another about 500 and change uh, in his in his right. one year prior to that, although he did have seven touchdowns in that year. Yeah. Um, what, what was the rationale for Wells ahead of Green? Oh, yeah, and you had a, a guy who had multiple – Good years, at least two good years. And the last year, you know, he hurt his uh, hurt his foot in four games, I think it was, and you know, wasn't healthy the entire year. But he still put up good numbers. And yes, he you know he played on a very good team, which helped his case. But uh, he put up those numbers, and he he was just. I mean, you could put together uh, with any of these players, you could put together a really nice highlight uh, highlight package. But with Beanie Wells, he just had you know hurdling defenders and stuff. He was one of the best running backs I feel, without a doubt, in the Big Ten. It just you know, he only played almost three years, two and a half, and uh, had some injury. But he he did everything but catch the ball out of that field, really. And he, you know, he went to the national championship game. Uh, so I thought that that factored into it, and just the fact that he had multiple good years. Well, let me okay. Let me let me make the counterpoint at least on. I don't I don't think it was nearly as cut and dry as a lot of other fans that that have harassed you did. <laughs> um, but. But let me make the counterpoint here, at least on on, on Clay and Mendenhall. Uh-huh. Uh, Clay, 34-13 over three years, essentially two and a half, but he did have some injury problems. He did lose his job to to James White and then Monty Ball. Um, 5.4 yards a carry, 41 touchdowns over that time. Um, 
Oh, in a three-year career, his numbers never approached what what Green did in his best year. His best sure. play's best season was '09. He went 15, 17, 18 touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Touchdown number was pretty close. Yeah, as you said, he was a monster inside of ten yards. Yeah. Um, but but the yards were never where it was the yards per attempt were never where that was. Yeah, they so were around like five and a half, run. I think. <laughs> His seventy-two yard run, I don't remember, but it had to be the slowest seventy-two-yard <laughs> run I've ever seen of all time. Like um, I just I my my thought there is he's a guy who was never. The, he started eight games in that year. I mean, he was never the consistent starter for, for Wisconsin. Yes, he had other guys that were really good around him. But it wasn't as if Monty Ball really jumped into the fray until until last year. I mean, he was a, a good back, but not a back that was just completely dominant, that would that would push Clay to the sideline. And, and those numbers, year by year, never match what, what Green did in mm-hmm. his one real big year. No, I'm, um, not argue, I'm not going to argue that. That's really spot on. But, uh, um, yeah, it's just the career. I think I emphasize career more than other people, you know. <laughs> well, and he's a guy He's a guy who has three years on the network, which I think I think yeah. you have to take into consideration considering yeah. your, your criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, Mendenhall, uh, I take just a little bit of issue with because he's from Illinois and damn Illinois. But um, uh, Mendenhall went, uh, you know, 1681. His yards per carry was, was marginally better than Green. He was 6.4. Green was 6.0. His his touchdowns were less. Uh, he was a little bit better receiver out of the backfield. Sean couldn't catch a cold. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but every measurable statistic for for a uh, a running back aside from the receiving yards mm-hmm. goes Green's way in that one yeah. year. So that factors um, into it. You know, I mean, a receiver. If you're good out of the backfield, that's definitely. Sure. I mean, that's part of being a running back, just as blocking is. And uh, but the other thing with Mendenhall, which I completely forgot, was. As bad as Illinois was in that Rose Bowl, Mendenhall was the only guy who looked like he deserved or he should have been on the field with USC. I mean, he he did yeah. really well against USC, and that was a very good USC team, as we all know. So, I mean, he he was just explosive. He he was awesome. I, mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, he, 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 Sean Green, I'm not saying he's not top six or top five running back in the Big Ten. It's just I was doing careers and, you know. Without sure. uh, that tweet I sent out without doing research, I had Sean Green number two, which got me even in more trouble. These people are like, "Oh, so research, you know, prove this, and this, and that." I'm like, "Well, as I said, without research, and I, you know, you forget how good some of these guys were two, three years ago." So, I don't know. <laughs> I, I well, I, I I just say this one other thing is that Mendenhall had a a three year career at Illinois, two years as a starter, basically. Um, went 25-39. Green technically had a three-year career at Iowa with a couple yeah. of years spent moving furniture in between. Um, was just marginally below him on, on yards, was a little bit ahead of him on touchdowns. They really do match up almost uh-huh. identically if you look at the three years. There's, there's, there's a, that's a tough call to make on your part, I understand. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, and I agree with you that, that he was the only guy who looked like he actually, uh, deserved to be up there with that USC mm-hmm. team, although, Sean Green destroyed a different USC that year, South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. Um, uh, the one that, that I, I, I do have to question is just is Beanie only because his numbers over two years aren't really that much better than Sean's mm-hmm. over one. Um, 2806, 5.8, that 5.8 is lower. The 28 three touchdowns over two years was about what Green had over one. Um, but you're, if you're going to take – Team success into the equation. There's no doubt about it that that uh, that Beanie deserves to be in the conversation by all means. And that, and, and if if that's where the the five six falls, that's an awfully tough uh, 
uh, argument to make on either side. So yeah, I mean, all these um, all these were really tough, and it took a lot of uh, research and talking. You know, with it would have been easier if uh, you know Howard, Jerry, and everyone was not on tour. But I, I mean, just going around <laughs> going around work and talking to some of the guys I work with. You know, just saying who is there anyone I'm missing? Who do you think? You know, I mean, it's and again, it's all it's all just for fun. It's all just you know, list stuff. This is the essence of list, just to have fun, debate it, and see what it is. No one sees it the same. If they did, there'd be no fun, and no one would ever look at them. Now, let's talk a little bit about your quarterbacks, okay. too, because you did that one after the halfbacks, and then all hell broke loose again to a certain extent, although a little bit less than the one before. Yeah. Uh, your top five, Terrell Pryor, Russell Wilson, Denard Robinson, Daryl Clark, Kirk Cousins. Um, your next five in alphabetical order, Ricky Stanzi, Chad Henney, Dan Persa, Curtis Painter, Scott Tolzien. Um I don't have any argument with Terrell Pryor. People who try to say that he wasn't a particularly good throwing quarterback just haven't paid any attention. Same for Denard Robinson. He's a different kind of quarterback, but there's no doubt that he's that he's one of the the, the yeah. two or three best quarterbacks. It, it, it kind of goes with the uh, Mendenhall thing we were talking about. I mean, part of I mean, a quarterback can run. That's you know, Pat White was right. good because he was such a good runner. Mike Fix is good, you know, because he's a good runner, and that goes into. But yeah, as far as like a pure quarterback. No, Denard Robinson's not even close to, you know, James Vandenberg would be number one on that list. You know, I mean, it's just, it's right. uh, it's it's all just, like, what you've done. You know, they even, Denard even has a pretty good record, you know, take away that uh, Rich Rod here. I mean, last year, right. you know, he did he did well, you know, and he did okay against pretty good competition, not Michigan State. Uh, but, yeah, I just think, you know, you put up those numbers, you lead your team to, uh, to a BCS full win, you know, wasn't the best uh, opponent or uh, – whether they deserved it or not, that's up for debate. But he had a BCS win too. And uh, as far as like why Stanzi didn't make it, Stanzi was he, he was great. He was unreal uh, in his final season. I mean that, that year was maybe you know on par with almost almost on par with what Russell Wilson did last year. But uh, you know I I don't know. I just thought his 2000 his what was it uh, 2009 when he had like 16 interceptions. Uh, 17 by 15. He, yeah, he completed like 56 percent of his passes. That's what you expect from Robinson, not, uh, you know, Ricky Stanzi. So, I mean, I just thought if he didn't have that bad of a year that year, I think he probably would have found his way on that list over either Cousins or Clark. But uh, I had people saying Clark should be number one. Quarterback was just – quarterback was the harder position because it, while there wasn't as much depth as there was a running back, there just wasn't any, like – other than Russell, like Russell Wilson easily had the best year. He's kind of the Sean Green of that example or of that position. Right. But uh, – you know, the, the pool is You're just predicting so much, my next question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the pool is just so much thinner in, at quarterback. And, I mean, Russell Wilson, John Green had unreal season, but it was like, you know, 100 yards, two TDs, better than the running backs, maybe 200 yards, you know. But Russell Wilson blew everyone away. Like, almost in Big Ten history, he blew everyone away. And a lot of that had to do with, you know, Wisconsin's offense. I think Daniel Bryan will have a, a very good year just because the running backs are so good, the offensive line so good, it doesn't take that much. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I didn't expect to hear the Ricky Stanzi ones because, you know, I thought I was almost not, not doing a favor, putting not, not at all, not doing a favor, but I was like, uh, you know, maybe people wouldn't even expect Ricky Stanzi on there, but, uh, no, he definitely deserved it. And it was just that year with the 15 interceptions and, you know, one of my coworkers that year, uh, every time there's a pick six, he's like, Ooh, standified. You see, he threw a lot of, he threw a lot of pick sixes, uh, and just, oh, a lot of Stanzi balls. Yeah, a lot of Stanzi balls was, Yeah, he, he struggled that year, and I, that was the overriding thing that I see with Stanzi. I'm like, oh, that year, that year was so, so, I want to say bad, but just not, you know, he was just average, mediocre. 
Nothing very good. So uh, that was that was the reasoning for that. But uh, on the topic of quarterbacks, I if Iowa fans choose to hate me, and that's cool. But uh, <laughs> I've been I've been all about James Vandenberg for the past I don't know year and a half or whatever. I, I all you all uh, off season I've been saying I don't know how this guy's so underrated. Like especially the system, the offense they're going to be running this year. You figure. I mean, now with Sparkly Hill's injury, like, you don't have running backs. You're just going to be throwing it every time. He's the perfect guy for that. Like, I think he could just have, like, an unreal season this year. No, and I, I agree with you. I, I, and, and look, I, the one thing you're kind of underestimating is the complete infatuation with Ricky Sands, the among the Iowa fans. Yeah, yeah definitely. continues to this day. The American what, quote. What, 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 as as an, an Iowa fan, I'm, I'm obligated to say yes. His 2009 was terrible, but they were 11 and two. Like, yeah, true. Very they won true. every game despite his fat, despite him not being very good. Yeah. And his his one real good year was really good. They just finished seven and five that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I I really at the four quarterbacks you've got, um, uh, Pryor, Robinson, Clark, Cousins. I really can't quibble with any of them. They've all got better career stats mm-hmm. than Stanzi. They've all had had years that were as good or better than Stanzi individually. Uh, the only the only quibble I have is Russell Wilson. It's only because he only had one year there, and yes, that year was awesome, uh-huh. and and he was unstoppable. But it, it didn't translate to halfback, so it should translate to quarterback. Mm-hmm. That's the that, and you've already answered that question. So yeah. um, I'll let you off the hook on that one. Tight <laughs> end, you got Moyaki five, and I I, I'm perfectly happy with that. I, the guys that are in front of him are are probably better tight ends, and if Moyaki had been healthy. He might have been able to catch up with guys like Beckham and oh, Keller, yeah. but I think definitely. Um, but it's hard to it's hard to move him too far up, considering he never had a, a year where he wasn't at least a little bit dinged up. Yeah, um, and I, are, I, are there, I was the same between him and Lance Kendricks for the last one. I, mean, I think Kendricks had better numbers, uh, but I mean Moyaki, he in the time he played when he wasn't hurt, I mean he he was he was a great tight end, and he you know scored a ton of touchdowns, and that's, that's the main thing. So I mean I I thought. Uh, sure. I thought that was a pretty fair one. A lot of people said Lance Kendrick should have been there, uh, and I couldn't argue with that either. I, I think Lance Kendrick should be in that equation too. Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, your love of James Vandenberg, and I, I laugh because there's a lot of Iowa fans who are a little on the fence about Vandenberg. I'm not one of them. I think he's a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. There's a there is there are a certain segment of the fan base who would rather have somebody else in there, which yeah. is the exact same way they were about Stanzi. Uh-huh. Can't we get Vandenberg in the game by now? It's just, that's how Iowa fans operate. But um, uh, going into this season, we've asked all of our guests uh, who have been on the show previewing conferences, and we haven't gotten too much of a preview yet. But if, if uh, a fan from outside the Big Ten is going to turn on the Big Ten Network and, and watch a little Big Ten football, what – what two players would you pick out as the guys that they should want to watch? What are, who are the two guys that are most entertaining or doing things that are most interesting? Uh, well, I think Denard would have to be up there just because he can score every time he touches the ball. Uh, and then as far as defense, uh, man, there's a lot. I mean, Michigan State, you could pick a handful. Um, I'd say probably William Golson. But as far as, like, underrated, I, I can do a couple underrated. Like uh, Raheem Mostard at uh, Purdue, I think that guy. I, I love kick returners. I uh, always get, you know, it's the most exciting play, and that's why I kind of don't like all the new rules in the NFL, college, you know, taking away the kickoff. But uh, him and then uh, hmm, another guy, um, John Simon, he's not underrated, though, but, you know, that guy, he's, he's so good. Sure. Um, you're the second person to name Golston. We had a, we had our Big Ten preview last week with yeah. a couple of the guys from uh, Off Tackle Empire, and they uh, – 
they also named Golston as a guy to watch. Although I think for them it was just as much about whether he would try to rip the head off somebody after a play. As it was <laughs> well, he would try to you just look at it. you look he he his body and his size athleticism. I mean, he's just a beast. And then you know the freshest thing in our mind is that bull that bull game against Georgia with like five yeah. tackles for loss, two and a half sacks, whatever it was. I mean that guy. If he if he can put it all together as they say, I mean he's you know you can't find a better body and you know more athletic and he's getting stronger and stronger. So he I mean that Michigan State defense is going to be scary with all the talent they that, have. That they will. Uh, they'll be scary in, in many many different ways. Uh, uh, Brent, we're we're happy to have you on. We're glad you decided to join us, and uh, we'll remind everybody to catch you on Twitter at uh, BTN Brent Urena, and um, they can. Find all your work on btn.com. Oh, but hey, before I let you go, uh, are there any plans for additional top fives? Um, I didn't do one today. I kind of, I kind of just decide what one I'm going to do. I don't know. I might do defensive players, uh, just you know, schedule permitting, time permitting. Um, defensive players would get a lot of uh, attention, I'm sure, because it's yeah. hard to do defensive <laughs> tackles, defensive end, linebackers. That's just going to be uh, the research for that would be exhausting. But I think I might oh, do defensive it. players or something. But uh, We'll see. We'll see. If you don't find a spot for Adrian Claiborne at defensive end, Sean Green's going to look like a walk in the park. <laughs> oh, geez. Maybe I should know. Yeah, no, Adrian Claiborne would definitely be on there. I mean, off the top of my head, you got him and uh, Ryan Kerrigan. Uh, shoot. It's hard to argue with Kerrigan on anything, really. I mean, in in the last five years, I think he's probably the best defensive end of the conference. Yeah, and then you figure, like, just talking, like, all the stats we've been talking, like you look at JJ Watt's numbers, overall numbers, and they don't even look that impressive. Yeah. But that guy was so dominant. I think he only had like six sacks. It's like how did he like that Ohio State game? It felt like he had six sacks. But uh, <laughs> that's just that's how stats go, I guess. Like he, he was so good, and his numbers, you know, they just look kind of pedestrian somehow. Yeah. Well, we'll keep reading, and if uh, if we need further clarification, we'll give you a call. All right. Thank you very much, Patrick. All right. Thanks, Brent. Yep. Have a good night. Part two of Black Heart Gold Podcast eighty seven. Uh that that magical sound you heard was like forty five minutes going by. Uh we are back. Ross is now here. Ross, welcome back. Thank you. Finally made it home. Yes, the the mean streets of Poughkeepsie or wherever it is. <laughs> mean streets of Minneapolis. Yeah. Um and and we're joined by a podcast regular, a man who needs no further introduction, the Gazette's Mark Morehouse. Mark, welcome back. I hope you have a cocktail or at least a beer. Uh, I, you know what I do? I just got done doing was I left the uh, this morning. I woke up, uh, worked out, um, threw a bunch of beer glasses in the dish in the sink, put it filled the sink with soap. And forgot all about it. So I'm, I just got done washing beer glasses. This is the time of year where I forget everything. You're a little busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're only, only working, what, 14 hours a day? 
Uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's next week. I'm trying to get a whole bunch of uh, preview type stuff done, but news keeps happening. Yes, we'll get into that in, in well, might we'll do it now. Barkley Hill out for the year. Um, uh, ACL as as we first thought and feared on Saturday, um, running up the number of Iowa halfbacks on the injured list to about 47. Um, <laughs> I should Mark, is it? It, I, I've already heard your podcast, but for those who haven't listened to On Iowa yet this week, um, is the Hill uh, injury a big deal? And it, do you find it interesting that on the day that Hill goes down injured, Hawkeye Sports is showing pictures of Jordan Canzeri working out? No, uh, I'm not. And I'm glad I had that before they had that picture up, though. I I, uh, I had a scoop for about two hours, and it really wasn't much <laughs> of one. I'm not sure how much Canzeri plays. Uh, but you know, having seen now the freshman running backs, having seen Barkley Hill, I saw him a little bit in high school, but not a lot. Uh, seeing him again and Greg Garman lined up together, boy, I sure like me some Greg Garman. I don't know about you guys. I don't know. You yeah. guys weren't there. But man, the kid moves. I think the upside is there. I, I really think in a perfect world, if he could redshirt and maybe gain 10 pounds, be a legit 200, not a, not a program 200. Uh, that would really be great. I mean, Iowa would really be healthy, but that would require a, a, a roster that's not uh, going sprawling every other day. And uh, uh, here we are again. I mean, they're dipping. Uh, Kanzari, if they're not really going to call on him, I think that's insane. But uh, let's take like it's headed that way. Maybe, maybe by the time Minnesota rolls around, you know, the Big Ten opener. That'd be the fastest ACL come back in the history of ACL comebacks. I mean, it's what, six months, not even? It's, Five months? Uh, end of March. Um, end of March to the end of now. The end of September. Five, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the end of September would be six months. Now, they get shorter every year, but um, I still think six months. I mean, for a running back whose knees are, you yeah. know, gold, uh, I think that's a lot. And then for a running back also who's, just, who's been not been hit, not done a lot of, you know, really all putting a weight on and a full out go. I mean, the coaches know what they're doing. The trainers know what they're doing. It's just, it, it's, it's just going to seem fast to me because it seems fast. I mean, it's for a running back six months really seems fast, but, uh, hey, they know what they're doing. It's, and, uh, we'll see. We'll see how much, we'll see if he still plays. I mean, there's always a chance this is just show. Yeah. Um, let's, might as well just, just uh, look at that position before we jump into the real problem on the other side of the ball. Um, uh, <laughs> it's sad that a position where everybody's hurt is not the bad one. <laughs> right. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, I'm assuming your opinion is Bullock starts at least the, the first couple of games and, and Garmin has a, and maybe even Malloy has an outside shot of, of uh, breaking through and, and potentially taking over in the second half of the year. Yeah, I would agree. And I think that, uh, you probably see a lot of Garmin in the first game. You probably see a lot of them uh, in the in the non-conference. But I, I'll bet that it's one of those the older guy stars kind of deals. Now, is that healthy? Does it matter? Probably not. Um, what I think when I what I think about is uh, Bullock, and I'm going to call him Seth Bullock from Deadwood eventually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he is uh, to me. He seems like he feels like the receiving running back and not the running running back. When I saw him Saturday, didn't run through contact, kind of ran to it yeah. and sort of stopped his feet. And 
you know, that's a technique thing, and I'm sure that, you know, it's totally fixable. But, you know, that's a guy who's questioning his power, who in the back of his mind doesn't know if he can run through or run over, you know, say, a James Morris. And I guess, bad example, he wasn't out there Saturday, but uh, oh, Christian Kirksey uh, doesn't think he can run through that, so he kind of stops his feet. So that tells me that he's probably the receiving running back. His natural position is probably slot receiver, but, you know, that's you, this is not going to happen. Right. And then you have Garmin, who I think is the running, the running running back. So does Iowa's offense get that? Does it tip its hand like that so quickly, you know, have the passing running back and the running running back? <laughs> I don't know, but he can't really afford that. So we'll see. I, I, it'll be It'll be interesting to see how Garmin is introduced because, Obviously, durability. I mean, he did weigh in at 190 pounds. I know that for a fact. Uh, so I think that that's, uh, durability is, you know, it's going to be a question mark. It's going to be a question mark for all of them. So can either of them block? <laughs> what are you asking me that for? No. <laughs> uh, good question. I mean, I, I, I think Bullock, I saw him Saturday, they blitz Saturday. Bullock put up a good fight. Uh, granted, the one that stands out to me is him going up against uh, Micah Hyde, who, you know, if you're if you're if you're doing MMA, and I think you're an MMA guy, Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick, I know Patrick's WWE, which is, isn't real, but uh, <laughs> just it's kidding. Real. Totally How real. dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> um, I thought that was a pretty good matchup. He 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 threw punches with. Uh, Micah Hyde. Now, say, is it Christian Kirksey? Does Christian Kirksey just truck him? I don't know. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> protecting Vandenberg, all of a sudden, it's like, uh, it's like the, the, whatever was in the case in Pulp Fiction, that's Vandenberg. You know, you open the case and your face closed. He is that valuable, uh, to this team right now because, you know, I thought, I, I think Rudock has made some strides. But, uh, you know, it, this thing is going to rest on Vandenberg's shoulder, especially with uh, 0.1 running backs left. <laughs> so what about, hey, I, what about Malloy and ahead. Dawson? Is there anything there, or are they just bodies? I'm wondering about Malloy. I mean, they list him at 180, so that tells me he's probably about 170, 175. If he's 180, maybe you can help him. Uh, he was a willing combatant Saturday. He ran without fear. Um, he ran a lot with the twos and threes, so it's hard to get a real gauge on what he can and can't do. Um, but I like him. Here's what I like about him, and and, and this is totally uh, just intangible. You know, he got caught for the thing out in Sioux City, and you know, pretty 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 much a statewide uh, embarrassment, humiliation, however you want to put it. Uh, Comes on, it was a walk-on. Had a scholarship, had it taken away. Comes to Iowa as a walk-on, and has gotten it out. And show, that shows me something. It shows me he wants to be one. He wants to be there, and two that he wants to play football. And you know, what kind of what kind will that help him? Will it will it time up to really matter for this year in the Big Ten? You know, he's a guy I really think needs to redshirt. I mean, 180 pounds is light for a running back. Uh, in the Big Ten, in, in any ten, in the Atlantic ten, in the uh, in the in the whatever in, in the CIML ten, the 180s life are running back anymore. So uh, I, I would love to see him redshirt. Can he help him? I'm not sure. Will he have to help him? I think probably. Um, I, I don't know if I know anything about actual number uh, rules, but is there something to be read into the fact that Andre Dawson's wearing the same number as Anthony Hitchens? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I think that's I think probably that's not a good sign for Andre Dawson. Well, I think what it does is they would have to rejigger that if for uh, special teams. Other than that, uh, I think it's okay as long as offense, defense, and it's clearly marked. Now, Andre Dawson, uh, a sports TV guy from Eastern Iowa, said to me Saturday, he looks like Chuck Muncie, which is, I don't know why that struck me as funny. It just totally did. Chuck Muncie without glasses. And he's a big body. I mean, he's 6'2", 220. He, and when he came out of Cedar Rapids, Washington, a lot of schools wanted him. Uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, Iowa. And there, I'm, there, I'm sure there are a few I'm missing. Uh, he had him going to UNI. Uh, I'm not sure. Everybody just kind of stopped cold. I don't know what it was. Academics, I'm thinking. I bet I don't know that. Uh, he ends up at uh, UNI and quits at UNI after a year. and ends up at Iowa, Iowa Western, where, you know, last year he ran the ball 40 times-ish for 250 or so yards. They, they had, like, 17 running backs at Iowa Western last year, and they were fantastic. Uh, does he help them? So far, no. I have to say no. I don't see him helping them right now just because, you know, they, they trucked in all those freshmen Saturday, uh, and clearly Dawson was behind in the, in the threes. He ran hard. He was, he's, uh, he's just a bigger body. Uh, but, you know, I think the bigger question is, is Brad Rogers, a, is, how much of a running back is he? Because, you know, we, yeah. they, they floated that idea a little bit with that first depth chart, and I've not seen it come to any bit of fruition. Now, that said, the Big Ten, uh, when the Big Ten Network came through, they uh, showed the practice and Rogers was wearing a red shirt. And then in that next scrimmage on that next Saturday, Rogers was uh, not there. So, and then this week he's there, caught a few passes. He ran once for minus three yards. So I'm really I'm, start, I'm going to have to start to question whether how much of a running back uh, Brad Rogers is or could be. No, they've they've floated. All of the fullbacks now, I think. They floated Weissman for about a day and a half. They floated Rodgers. I don't see either one of them. I, I was there on Saturday for a while, although mm-hmm. I left right before the Barkley Hill injury, um, mm-hmm. which is good because it allowed me to enjoy, like, the next half hour of my day before I found out about it. <laughs> um, but uh, they've, they've floated a lot of guys, and, and watching it Saturday, I don't see anybody beyond Garmin and, and maybe Bullock. And, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll give uh, – um, I can't think of the poor kid's name now. Malloy. Uh, Malloy is the benefit of the doubt of possibly contributing too. But Garmin looked to be the best halfback of the three. He was the only guy that seemed to understand, uh, have the patience to to let blocks form, uh, and to be able to find a hole without running an, an ISO or a trap play. Right, and uh, then outside zone, I think you know what I'm talking about. One where Randy was right, sort of a, you know. Scott said happy feet. Scott Dockerman said happy feet. I think he was just kind of uh, feeling out where the hole was, letting the blocking set up. And when he took off, it was only about a seven-yard run. And I think it might have been against the twos, two-and-a-half, maybe threes. Uh, but anyway, it was only a seven-yard seven run, but it looked great. I mean, he really – when he hit the accelerator, he blew out of the, you know, blew out of the gate. And uh, there was a one uh, – the pass he caught for about 17 yards that kind of got uh, that last drive going. You know, granted, he set up Nate Meyer, who is brand spanking new at running back, but he but he knew to let Nate Meyer get close, and then he blew right by him. So this is a guy who has a real feel for uh, the speed of the game. It tells me, and uh, and Scott pointed out on our podcast that uh, he he believes that uh, Garmin has the highest upside, and I totally have to agree with that. I mean, 
he's the one who really looks like uh, somebody you want to have be a running back. Now Bullock, you know, he's I think he's there, but is it, has it ever been because he's a good running back, or is it because they need bodies? I think it's because they need bodies. I mean, clearly he went back last year because uh, who was it last year who got hurt? Uh, McCall. So yeah. McCall, yeah. So McCall you know, and Coker and everybody else. Right. If they got desperate, um, do you think like Cotton would move? Or I mean, he seems buried at wide so. receiver. I think Cotton is just too—he's too thin and he's too injury prone. He's been hurt at wide receiver. I think he broke a leg or an ankle a couple of years ago. He does. I don't want to say he has his own problems at wide receiver, but he's—he's he's hard to uh, correct the line up there. So he's still working on that. I didn't see he was also not at the scrimmage Saturday. I don't remember seeing him, and I don't think he was out there. Uh, I think it ended up being the first teamers, uh, Jacob Hillier and Reese Fleming. So, you know, as for all the problems they had at running back, I think they're having a hard time kind of picking out who number three through seven are at wide receiver. And they might have to do that if they're going to be, you know, potentially going to be passing as much as they it seems like they might be. They might have to. I mean, they, it, forget whether they, they want to actually throw that much or not, and I'm sure that Greg Davis does from what everybody tells me. I don't think they have much of a choice anymore. I mean, it's gotten to the point where it's kind of 2004 all over again. I and think that's so. somewhat yeah. terrifying going into week one. Yeah, um, I agree. The other, the other obvious position, and and you and I have talked about it before, and and are in agreement. This is the real, the real issue. Defensive line, in particular, defensive end. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't even know what to think anymore. I. Um, Obviously, it looks as if uh, Dom Alvis and Joe G- Joey Gags, Joey Gagliam, uh will be will be starting. And and I, I look, you know, Gaglione looked okay uh, in the limited time that we saw him on Saturday. Alvis looks like he's he's slowly getting back into form, but there's nothing behind those guys, and they're not exactly world beaters themselves at defensive end. Uh, where's the pass rush going to come from? I think it's, they're going to have they're going to have to blitz. I mean, it's just pure and simple. I mean, if you look at uh, Gaglione and Alvis, uh, the first time I've Gaglione's been around for five years as a fifth year senior. The first time I've ever talked to him was at this media day in his fifth year. And he's a really great kid, really smart, uh, smart, good perspective. Uh, knows you know knows his story. I mean, he missed 2009 because of a. a Torn labrum, uh, 2010, he really didn't come out of the blocks. I think it, that was still bothering him. And then last year he started to get, you know, his, his feet wet and some playing time. I think what impresses me with him, and there's a little bit, I think there's there's a player here, there's a fairly one-dimensional player here. I think he's a guy who can set an edge because he's fairly big, he's fairly strong. He's a defensive uh, end who might be able to push an offensive tackle back five or six yards and at least seal off an end, contain. Now is he gonna is he ever gonna run by a tackle? No, he's he's not gonna have a speed rush. He might be able to power rush. So that's a might though. I mean, he did it again. I thought he he showed up pretty well against uh, uh, Brett Van Sloten two weeks ago. Was pretty good. Uh, and and Albus too. If you go over to Albus, you mentioned him. He, he coming off at twenty CL last November, which I think that puts him at uh, ten months, ten or ten yeah nine or ten months coming back here in September. But you know, even then, I mean, he's he's got a, a grand total of eight starts in his career. I think he was just starting to kind of get it at defensive end. I mean, he had a pretty strong game going against Michigan. 
And then, you know, I, I think it was a punt safe he tore his ACL. So, uh, he's not a proven player either. I mean, very short resume on all these guys. I don't think they're going to catch lightning in the bottle. Maybe Carl Davis. I mean, Carl Davis did look good Saturday, but as far as defensive ends yeah. go, uh, I don't think, you know, trying to catch lightning in so many bottles is, uh, you know, they, they've left themselves in there. There's no question. Well, and I'm, I'm okay with how they're, they're handling tackle. I think they've got a lot of underclassmen talent they need to, to give a shot, especially Davis, who did look really good Saturday. I mean, he looks like a puppy dog out there. He's just kind of moves his arms around his legs and does a little dance and then, like, suddenly he's in the backfield. But mm-hmm. um does look like he's pretty solid and, and significantly better than he was last year when it was just uh, knock him down as fast as he possibly could. Um <laughs> But, uh, and I, and, and obviously they're gonna, uh, rotate on both end and tackle. I, just looking at, I wrote up some of the position on defensive end this morning and, and just looking at the, the, the backups at end, there's just nothing behind them. Yeah. Um, I could see them using spears in, in, in situational stuff to see if they can get a pass rush out of him, but, but there's just nothing they can go to. And if there's any injury on that, that line, which isn't out of the question when you've got two guys like, like Gaglione and, and Alvis, who have had injuries in the past, boy, they're awfully thin to begin with, and they they could get a lot thinner real fast. Yeah, I, I, um, Spears, I think, and then uh, Big Ack is he's sort of you know he's a quintessential journeyman. You know, I keep I I kind of expect him to come over here and fix my internet. Uh, <laughs> kind of does everything, and I like the guy. He's he's incredibly smart. Um, and he gets every inch of athleticism he has in his reserves. I totally, totally respect what he does on the field. That said, he's, you know, he's not an all-big tenor. I mean, and he's not a, he's probably not even an all-mention all-big tenor. But he, you know, if they can get something out of him, I, I, I don't think, I think Phil Parker is smart enough to not ask these defensive ends to be something they're not. And that is, they're not Claiborne. They're, they're not, uh, Ballard. They're, Maybe a little bit of, maybe a little bit of a poor man's Broderick Benz, but what they're going to ask him to do is set an edge for right now. Maybe, maybe, uh, Alvis, when he gets his legs under him, literally drives up a pass rush, but I think the other guys are just going to ask him to set an edge to keep, uh, space occupied. I don't, if you ask him to do much more than that, I think you're probably, you might be asking too much. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, one guy at defensive end that I'm kind of interested to see, but hasn't been a, either of the, um, Either of the scrimmages was Riley McMinn, a guy whose body is, is exploded. I mean, he was 200, uh, 6'7", 219 when he reported. He's a redshirt freshman this year, 245-ish or 235. I can't remember which. Uh, but he's getting bigger, yeah. but he's not been around. I, I, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe a hamstring or something. I, I have no idea, but uh, they, they could use him. They could use anybody there. So, my dog is barking. Dog, he, even he's... Even he is is distressed about the defensive end situation. Um, I, I, it wouldn't be a Black Heart Gold podcast if we didn't ask what's up with Mike Hardy. Um, so what's up with Mike Hardy? Well, you saw him. He showed up. Uh, the second Played pretty well. Yeah, yeah. defensive tackle. I think he's starting to get it a little bit. I think it's the thing with him. I think with strength. Uh, you know, he's a big kid from Appleton, Wisconsin, who. Probably got away with being, you know, pretty fast, uh, pretty explosive. I think he was a discus champion up there. So he's probably the biggest kid around and, uh, just beat everybody that way. Well, now he's, he was, he's not the biggest kid around and, uh, he, I think he's catching up strength wise. Um, what, what will he add this year? I think he's an, he could be a solid depth guy. 
do I see him getting the rotation? No, probably not. Uh, I think the tackle is pretty well set between uh, uh, Louis Trinkapassat, uh, Darian Cooper, and uh, Carl Davis. I think those three will probably be your tackles. If they mix in a fourth, I could see maybe maybe Hardy making it in then. But I, I think those are your three. Uh, Trinkapassat Saturday, you know, Scott noticed that he, toward the end there he was really sucking air. So, you know, he's moving a lot of big bodies for the first time in his career. Uh, he's a guy, he, if he gets a big, he's going to be a great story because Ferentz has said that he almost quit last December. And, yeah. um, that's something I didn't ask him about, but I did ask him in the spring about, um, putting on all that weight. I mean, he, he weighed in, uh, I think I want to say 243 when he arrived at Iowa. He, remember, he came in that, that early semester with, uh, uh, the departed Derby, uh, uh, AJ. And 243, and this spring he told me he weighed 283. So, he said it takes time to get used to that weight. Uh, it takes time to, to feel like you're 243 pounds again and be able to move that way. Maybe he's found it. You know, sometimes if he, sometimes when he flashes, he looks a little bit like Carl Klug, but I think consistency is not quite there yet. Uh, Cooper, I haven't seen him. He, he didn't really do a lot. And from the second two weight, in a row, from what I yeah, from what I understand, he hasn't done much in either one of them. Yeah, he, he's he's kind of been swallowed up. He is a smaller guy. I mean. He's he's my kind of six two, which means he's more like six foot. Uh, so you know he's young. I think he needs to work on a little technique. Uh, I think getting beaten down by James Ferentz every day in practice is probably going to make him a little harder. Uh, but you know, Davis, I thought started as far as defense tackles go. Uh, I thought he looked nice. So the freshmen, they're all redshirting. Yeah, I think so, Ross. I think uh, you know that. Here's what I've been saying about them for the last two weeks. When they when they are in against the ones, uh, they get beat. When they were against the threes, you know their age group, their natural age group, uh, Reed Fieldy and uh, Mitch Keppy and oh, I'm blanking on the other one. There's at least one more guy on the inside I'm blanking on. But when they get when they get against their age group, they do really well. I mean, they win most of those battles. They push guys off the ball. Uh, I was still playing the two technique or the two gap. I'm sorry where, you know, the defensive lineman has to go through the offensive lineman, steer him into the play or shed him and make a play. Uh, they're, they're responsible for two gaps. So uh, these guys are being taught that pretty strictly. And I thought, you know, against their age group, they were able to do it. Now, can they do it against, uh, you know, Michigan State? Uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, I think physically maybe they'd be ready. Maybe they can add maybe a handful of series, but would it be worth it to burn them this year? Uh, I think a weight, I think if they end up like, uh, Cooper, you know, we're in the weight room is going to help them out a lot and these guys will come back next year and I will have a good defensive line next year. Who, is, who among that group is, is a possibility for end or is there anybody there that, that might make that move? I mean, I'm uh-huh. looking at a guy like Sopanide seems like he'd be the right size for it, hmm. but, but it's, it, we have a lot of guys that are between 275 and 310 that yeah. all seem like they're tackle types. Yeah, and Spokanidis, I think, uh, he's a stockier guy. I, I see him as a tackle project in the Trinket Passat range. Um, I think Drew Ott looks nice, looks like a nice prospect. He's not, he was, uh, splitting time with the twos on Saturday, so he's, he's made some waves. Um, I was told early on he kind of looked like a Jared DeVries starter kid, and I kind of wanted to see that and to believe it. Because to me, all of this, I, I think I saw more of his high school basketball highlights than his football. And I thought, well, he's, I, I, hey, I was signed a small forward from Indiana, uh, to play <laughs> even to them. But no, he, he does look a little bit like, uh, Jared DeVries. I mean, 
it's a starter kit, obviously, but uh, good good body. I, I think he'll help him down the road. Uh, Delmantis, I'm just going to call him Delmantis. Uh, he had a great game. He had a great scrimmage Saturday. He was everywhere. Again, dominating yeah. his age group. Does he help him this year? No. But he's a guy who I think showed some, showed me something Saturday. So those are the defensive ends. I think Face is listed as or was listed as a defensive end. He's clearly a three-technique tackle. Uh, Julio is a one-technique tackle. Basically, Julio is your nose guard, and uh, uh, Face is your, your sort of outside tackle. So those guys are – I think they're all slotted. It's just a matter of when they arrive. Well, let's talk about something a little bit more positive. Um, Austin Blythe. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah. It looks like he's got not just a guard position on lockdown, but looks to be, if not the best offensive lineman on the team, because that's probably Ference, definitely one of the top three. He's pushing. I agree. Uh, he is he is, he is mean, and he is uh, technically sound. Uh, he, I know that you're a Arrested Development fan, Pat, and I don't know about Roth, I'm assuming, because he has a brain. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's a <laughs> development fan. To me, uh, Blythe is and He's the wall. You can't push him down. <laughs> you know, he's kind of wide-faced. And he's he's now known as Egg Blythe. <laughs> it's done. He, he, he's got a wide base. You can't move him. Um, he gets his hands on you so fast, and he, and he knows that that's what the job is, getting your hands on the other guy before the other guy gets his hands on you. Uh, and he understands that wrestling has made him, not only has it made him just tough and hard and mean, it's, uh, it's given him everything he needs to be a good football player, and it is there. I mean, it's arrived. He's, he'll be the first, uh, redshirt freshman to start, to play, probably to start in the defense, on the offensive line since Riley Reef. Before that, you go to Balaga, and that's some pretty exclusive company. And, uh, I think he's there. I think, Patrick, I think you're right. Uh, I think once James Ferris has gone at center, you're going to have Austin Blythe there for two, maybe three years if I was lucky, because I think he's a 10-year NFLer. Um, what's the obviously the strength and conditioning coaches and the offensive line coach have have repeatedly praised Sheriff at left tackle, um, and and for good reason. He looked great this week. He did not impress too much last year. Um, is there really any any competition there for him, or is he basically locked in there? And the, and the question being, Donald fits in at right tackle, or he backs up in both spots. Yeah, I think uh, the the strength gap between and the strength and the speed and quickness gap between uh, Sheriff and Donald is uh, pretty wide. Uh, I think Donald is can be a better right tackle. On um, Saturday, when uh, uh, Ruddick threw that touchdown pass, a doozy. It was it was Donald who was holding down that edge. I'm not. I don't remember the defensive end he was against. I want to say it was uh, Alvis. He just swallowed him up and spit him out. So uh, Donald looked. I thought Donald made some positive steps. Uh, Sheriff, how how good can he be? I, I'm not sure. I think right now he uh, right now the thing I look for him to uh, shore up is pass pass uh, pass blocking because he is so big and so strong that uh, I think he'll be able to match with any. Defensive end in the Big Ten as far as run blocking goes, uh, is pass blocking that technique, uh, dealing with you know resetting yourself after a defensive end jams his helmet into your face, uh, that kind of. I think that's what he sort of needs to show me in any way is just uh, some consistency and some feel for that. 
But you know, I think obviously the sky's the limit with him. I think he, uh, he, he one thing I, I kept asking him last year. I think he probably got tired of it, but uh, you want to be right to the left tackle, right? I mean, you want to make a million dollars, right? And uh, he, you know, he, he was always absolutely. <laughs> so this is what he wanted, and what shows me that he's really serious about it is, you know, he was kind of a tubby three ten last year. I mean, that, I think it's, he was fighting his body a little bit last year. This year, uh, he's a, he is a felt three ten. I mean, he's he really he's made of granite. Yeah, he bought into whatever whatever they did in the winter. He totally bought into, and he is noticeably trimmer. And uh, I think he's just basically stopped eating crap, and uh, you can tell. I mean, he looks great. The other kind of open position battle, and I guess Sheriff probably wasn't really an open one. I I, I listened to you guys talk about Donald um, a little bit in the podcast, and I, I had to disagree a little bit. I didn't think he looked great. He was a great pass protector. And on the run game, he could certainly get out and seal the edge on the outside zone, but he always seemed to be falling one step back with a guy that was about 50 pounds lighter than him <laughs> when, when somebody really came at him like Gaglione. Um, and I, and from what I've read, it sounds like that's the ongoing question on him as a technique issue. It's, uh, it's whether he, uh, he, he kind of learns to, to use his, his weight properly. But, um, the other, the other big position battle, I suppose, is at, at safety between Donatel and Law. Um, it seems to me this is shaping up to where they're going to be using Law in, in running situations, but the Donatel's probably going to be there anytime there's a chance of a pass because, Law can bring the lumber on a halfback and, and plays pretty well against the run, but seems to be getting beat repeatedly and constantly over the top. Yeah, I'm not sure how that's – I, I want to say that, you know, the better player will win, but really Saturday – if you asked me, I mean, honestly, Saturday to say who was better at strong safety, I, I couldn't tell you. To me, they, they look a lot the same. I, I think Nico Law obviously I think brings a little more physicality to the position. Um what I think Donatel does is bring a little more brains. I mean, he's obviously he's a guy who's he's a fifth-year senior. He's been in this defense. Phil Parker knows him inside and out. Uh, there's a trust level there that I think uh, Nico Law is fighting against with uh, Donatel. Uh, Donatel, he also, to me, he looks mostly faster and stronger this year. He, he, he's really, I think he's another guy who really bought in in the off season, and he, he looks, you know, he looks more physical than he did last year when he, when, oh yeah, when he played linebacker in his Northwestern. So. Uh, he's one of those guys that's pitched in, and and he's going to be hard. To, Nico Law is going to have to separate himself, and he and to me, I don't think he has. I mean, he'll come up with a big hit every once in a while, uh, but he's also one of those guys who, you know, when he makes a mistake, he kind of internalizes it. And that's something I'm writing a Nico, Nico Law story. I think Friday, uh, I talked to Daryl Wilson on media day, and Daryl Wilson said, "Yeah, that's something he fights. I mean, he internalizes a lot of things and." Uh, you know, I, t- I keep telling them, don't trust yourself, trust your coaching, trust your technique, and things will take care of themselves. And you can kind of see that. I think Nico is a guy who sees himself, you know, you know, he, he was asked during media day what he thought about Bob Sanders. I think he's a guy who doesn't see himself as Bob Sanders, but I think he sees himself as a first-team All-Big Ten guy, which is good. You want that. But, you know, you got to kind of get there first. So I, I think I think he's a, he's a player who excites me. And, you know, if, if Iowa gets creative defensively, you know, with a big sort of physical hybrid type linebacker slash safety, I think, I think law is it. But, you know, he still got, he still has to show that, uh, they can trust him out there. And right now I think Donatel holds that. Right. 
So staying in the secondary, do you think nickel corner is maybe a spot where a freshman could uh, step in and get some playing time? It sounds like the freshman cornerbacks have looked pretty darn good so far. Yeah, and I it, I think probably Greg Castillo will own one of those spots um, simply because, again, trust level, and you guys know how it goes with fifth-year seniors, you really have to knock them out to – replace him in any sort of rotation or on the depth chart. Can Sean Draper do that? Can Kevin Buford do that? It looks like they've made some headway. Uh, Draper didn't play last Saturday, but in that first Saturday, you know, he was splitting time with uh, Castillo. I think if uh, if Lowry went down again or if Ty got hurt, and don't you don't want those, those either of those things to happen, uh, I think maybe they would have at least they would at least think about it. Putting uh, Draper, I think Draper's—he's bigger and he's way thicker than I thought he was. His high school, his high school pictures made him—he like really just rail thin, like 150 pounds. I think he's closer to 185. Uh, looks looks fairly strong. Looks kind of like a uh, Micah Hyde starter kid. Uh, you know, the question is—you know—can he can any of those guys touch Castillo right now? I don't think so. I just think Castillo has. In the right role, if you ask Castillo to go cover like against the Iowa State game, I can't remember the receiver. It's the one who famously bench presses 400 pounds. It's the fourth down play that sent the game into overtime. You know, you ask him to be the, the cover guy in the situation, he falls short. If you ask him to be a uh, nickel guy uh, in any sort of situation, I think he's more comfortable there. I think he fits him. So I think he can be effective there. Um, but if he is, uh, I have to come up with a nickname, or somebody has to come up with a nickname for uh, B.J. Lowry because he—he he, to me, he almost looked like the best player on the team Saturday. Yeah. He was everywhere, yeah. and he was tough, and he was uh, uh, ball hawking. Uh, he he welcomed uh, Reese Fleming to Kinnick Stadium with a strip and a fumble recovery. So uh, he goes down there in trouble. Uh, but I, I think uh, I think I know you guys hate, or not everybody hates, but uh, that's probably too strong a word. But people get down on Greg Castillo. And, you know, the Iowa State game is something he's, you know, that he's, he's on his resume and he can't ignore it. But I think he's got some value yet. Well, I think you're right that the problem is if you ask him to be one of the corners on the outside, that's the problem. But if he's just a yeah. nickel, that's probably Great. the spot where he can, he can be okay at that. So I agree. You're saying, is a, if Hyde or if um, Draper is a Hyde starter kit, is Buford the Javon Johnson starter kit? Because that dude looks kind <laughs> <laughs> well, you hope so. Uh, but you're right. I mean, he looks like, I mean, Joe Hoff was really short. Uh, Kevin Buford is really short. Um, he, you know, he'd be one of those tough. But I yeah. think that's like 5'8 in reality. 5'7 yeah. <laughs> in cleats, 5'8 in, in life. Um, I think, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I mean, the, the uh, you look at this body comparisons, and you'd hope for a Javon Johnson-type career out of a Kevin Buford. Uh, this is a guy, you know, uh, a little bit, uh, this is kind of like the Micah Hyde story in that Phil Parker recruited him, and he kind of hit him from everybody. Uh, for some reason, he, you know, he didn't offer until late, and when he did offer, you know, it was, it was a feeding frenzy. Uh, I think Illinois made a really great late run to Tim Beckman's staff, who may, maybe they, yeah, I got a recruiting letter from them. They tried to recruit me late. Uh, you know, the, the team, you know, the <laughs> Were they were they in the the parking lot of the Gazette trying to get you and Hoss and Doc? <laughs> kind of like a say, kind of like a say anything scene, you know, with a jam box over his head, trench coat, <laughs> little John Kuzak. I can't remember the. Uh, 
uh, I can't remember the song from that part. I think mean, it was Peter. It was Peter Gabriel, I think. It's in your eyes. Yeah, there you go. Uh, <laughs> odd reference. I'm glad you guys are old enough to get it. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, they made a late run of Kevin Buford. I think uh, Bobby Tyke, yeah, is Jovan Johnson, but Jovan Johnson's a hell of a football player. Uh, I think he's second or third in interceptions in Iowa history. So it's it's, it's almost like saying Nico Log, Bob Sanders, you know, in my mind a right. little bit. So I'm, I'm kind of I'm careful. I, I try to be careful when I make those comparisons. When I do, I mean, like a guy with like Austin Blythe and where he fits and where he's headed, I I, I make sure it's safe so it doesn't blow up in my face eventually. <laughs> well, we haven't we haven't talked about two spots that are extremely important and yet seem to be completely locked down. Quarterback is Vandenberg, and then I I think at this point it were the consensus is that that Ruddick is if not one number two is definitely far ahead. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm absolutely impressed with Vandenberg every time I talk to him. He's, uh, uh, I think he's a guy who just totally gets it. I think he gets every inch of athleticism out of his body. Um, very smart. Um, makes, makes, you know, coach on the field type, uh, really cares and really has bought in. I mean, he, he, it's, he's like sucked all the good things out of Sandy's, you know, resume. I mean, Sandy, I don't think he's quite as complete a quarterback as Vandenberg. I think Vandenberg maybe has a little better arm, a little better, a uh, little better football IQ, knows what he can do a little more. But uh, as far as leadership goes, and and you know the film work and all that kind of stuff, Sandy uh, was hard to touch in that category. And Vandenberg kind of taken that away from him. And you know I think they're trying to bring up. I think uh, he's trying to bring up Ruddick Wright. Uh, Ruddick also, they're both uh, med school guys or want to be med school guys and. Uh, uh, Ruddick is kind of, I can kind of see it now. I can kind of see it where, you know, Saturday I was wondering, okay, this guy's 185 pounds. He's got a size 29-inch waist probably. It makes me sick. Uh, he looks more like a guy who, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking his first name. I'm Ruddick and, uh, uh, welcome to my fraternity house. Uh, don't, <laughs> why don't you go sit by, uh, at Sydney Mohammed, uh, Jugdish, you know, that's, that's, that's my Animal House reference. But anyway, uh, I think Ruddick's uh, kind of come around. He really impressed me Saturday. I think he's he's uh, he's got – Jake Ruddick's got something going on. I think uh, I think they're in a redshirt Sokol. I don't know what what do you think, Matt. I, you, you saw them both Saturday. I thought Sokol in the first scrimmage outplayed Ruddick. In this scrimmage, something happened during the week. Ruddick uh, – something turned on because Ruddick really, I thought, outdid Sokol pretty clearly in the last, last week. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I after watching scrimmage two, I was surprised that there was really any competition whatsoever. I, I he seemed to be head and shoulders above Sokol, not just size wise, but right. actually in you know in in understanding what was going on and, and working the offense. Sokol seemed lost, and it might be that he was working with. I think the I think the passing game hurt in general Saturday because there was no Davis and no Martin Manley. Right. Um, and then I saw Davis and his parents walking out of the practice area or the practice uh, facility on our way back to the car. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's fine. He just took a day off. But um, so if anybody was worried about that, no, Keenan's perfectly okay. But um, I think that kind of hurt things in general. I, I felt like it hurt Sokol even more because he was working with guys who were, who were way down the depth chart guys who were fourth and fifth, I think. And mm-hmm. that probably certainly didn't help matters, but he didn't seem to have a real great grasp on what was going on. Passes weren't just, 
going off a guy's hands. They weren't anywhere close in a couple spots, and yeah, and you can't really have that. So uh, the other the other question I had, obviously, I think linebacker is set. Morris, Hitchens, Kirksey. Um, Morris sits out Saturday, and Travis Perry slots in while Kirksey moves inside. Um, one is, I know Alston had been kind of hurt during the week. Yep. Is that a precautionary thing, or is, is they really like Perry that much? And two, is there any? Because it really seemed to work really well against the slot receiver in the passing game. Is there any chance that we see a little bit of rotation situationally uh, in the linebacker core? Um, you know, it's a great question. I, I don't think so. I think they, they they love Morris, and and I think I think everyone will have a better crack at Morris this year in that. You know, he played the entire Big Ten season with a high ankle sprain. I think that really affected his play last year. So, I think yeah. he, I think he'll be poised and he'll be better this year. Uh, Kirksey, I like him, but I, I like him a lot better at outside linebacker. Uh, my, my picture, my just steal a Ferencism. My, my Kodak snapshot of him is the uh, Minnesota game. He got eaten up by a fullback, gave up outside contain, and Marquise uh, Gray trots in for the winning touchdown. So. I think he's probably better suited for that. He's a speed linebacker. Uh, Hitchens, you know, in the last two scrimmages, he hasn't he hasn't done anything that's been bad or good. I mean, I haven't really they're outstanding. I guess he's just kind of held his own, which you know you you got you can take that for a first year starter at least you know in his first you know couple scrimmages. Uh, I think they love Tyler Perry. I mean, I'm not sure where he, he fits eventually, but uh, Tyler Perry. Yeah, or did I say I said Tyler again? Didn't Tyler Perry? Makes, <laughs> you did again. Tyler Perry makes terrible <laughs> sitcoms on TV. Yeah, so. <laughs> they got Medea as outside linebacker. It was own house of pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Anyway, uh, Travis Perry, Travis Perry, the Admiral, Travis Perry. Uh, he he, uh, he, I, he when they when they had I talked to Eric Johnson on signing day would have been 2011 I guess. Um, he, or t- 10, I guess, whenever he came in as a true freshman, he told me that he was a walk, he was walking on, and this is a guy that they did a, real, a long dance with as far as scholarship goes. Uh, so they were really happy to get him to walk on. I think they st- stole him away from you and I, which I know is no big deal, but uh, to convince a guy who's going to get some money for college to come to college and pay his own way is a big deal, especially a guy who, was, who's, who they thought had, had, a lot of, had a lot of talent. So they like him. Um, Alton, I think it's an injury. I really do, because uh, I know that they liked him a lot last year. He played against Northwestern last year, you know, in real down, not just special teams. So uh, they like him, uh, but I think he's just a little bit behind the curve through injury. I mean, Moore showed up and went through all the drills, and I don't think it's serious. Um, I think if it were, I think he would just saw it off at this point, because he's just a guy who wants to – the one other, I guess, the one thing we haven't touched on special teams, I'm assuming we've got Meyer at kicker without an issue. And Cornbrath was taking a lot of punting snaps. It's not every one of them Saturday. Have, has has Winky officially been passed here? I think so. I mean, if you're if you bring a kid to be not have three scholarship punters, uh, yeah. I don't know if you count Winky, but uh, He's there, uh, so I guess you, yeah, I guess you have to count him. He's but not. He's not a quarterback anymore. So no, no. Well, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up doing a little quarterback. He does still go through drills a little bit, the, the warm up drills. Uh, but 
I think if you go to West Virginia and you, they identified Cornbread really early in the recruiting process. I think he committed in June. So they saw something they liked there, and they decided early on, I think, to make him the punter. Now, was Saturday just uh, – was it just, uh, you know, let's see what the freshman has, or was it, uh, okay, here's our guy, this is it going forward? Uh, I felt to me like he's the guy. So uh, he, he had a few line drives that you can't have because those will end up uh, going the other way pretty quickly. But uh, he also had some boomers. Uh, I, you know, consistency will be a problem for a, right shirt fre- or a true freshman punting. But I thought overall he was okay. I mean, I think you have to make that decision, and you have to be dis- decisive with it. You can't mess around with punter because you have a re- you have a true freshman. You want to show him that he's a guy, and you want to stick with him. Right, and I think it, in in both those spots, in punter and kicker, you, you hurt yourself when you don't do that. Just look at what's happened to Mossbrucker ever since 08 Penn State. Yeah. And- and you can see exactly what the issue could be. Um, well, use- and I don't think Ferris Ferris has never shown a, a, a problem with with using a freshman punter. I mean, he used Donahue as a freshman when Donahue was shanking him. Yeah. You know, every third punt was going for 15 yards. It was just a you're our guy, be patient. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up doing it that way. Obviously, Mullings is not going to happen. Yeah, and that's weird. Uh, he's only I believe he's a sophomore this year. So they're, you know, they're theoretically on the hook for two more years on the scholarship, uh, you know, because Iowa has committed, you know, they, they, I think Iowa always has done that, but yeah, last year the Big Ten made everybody kind of commit to, yeah, four-year scholarships. Uh, we're not running people off, so uh, they've got them for two more years. It's up to him, both in his court totally. He has a live leg. It just, uh, you know, he's not getting the ball off fast enough, or the other guys are just that much better. Uh, so yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's Cornbrath. I mean, it really looked like, uh, I mean, looked like it's his job. And, you know, how viable was it one key ever? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fun story. If you would have taken off, man, what a great story that would have been. I'd be writing that. I'd be writing about this <laughs> <laughs> hunter for the next few months. <laughs> the Elite 11 punter? Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> Did they do anything? Yeah, I right there. Did they do anything different for, like, kickoffs? Because that was the one thing Meyer wasn't very good at those last year. Well, I think that the fact that he moved up to the 35 helps him. Um, one thing, the one defense that was thrown there for Meyer and uh, kickoffs last year is uh, what were they telling him to do half the time? Were they telling him to leave it at the 10? Right. I, I tend to think that's pretty pretty weak argument on my part. I think uh, – uh, I talked to Barry Alvarez uh, during the Big Ten athletic directors meetings in May, and I talked about kickoffs and kind of the, the dying art. And Alvarez said, I, I asked Alvarez, what would you, you know, they're moving the, the kickoff up to 35. You know, I guess you could have some guys pop it up and try to create a collision that, you know, at the 10-yard line or 20-yard line. He said, no, the good kickoff is a touchback. <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want any of them returned. So uh, I think that's what I will want. So I think uh, – Kirk and Barry are sort of on the same wavelength with that. And uh, I think whoever gets that done this year will get that job. That said, I think it should be able to be Meyer. I mean, he kicked a 46-yarder Saturday. That looks fantastic. So I don't think leg strength is, is part of the deal here. All right. Yeah. What about the returners? Is that any? Yeah, it's going to be Micah Hyde, punter. Um, again, now with him, I do wonder what he was being told to do, you know, Uh because, you know, is he 
he missed, he didn't catch a few that were, those were on him, but were they, were they taking the leash off of him? Were they letting him return? Was everything just, you know, fair catch it and, you know, we need you on defense? Uh, so he, I assume he'll be the guy, and when he's had those two interception returns for touchdowns, he's an electrifying guy with the ball in his hands. Uh, I'd like to see more. I'm not going to totally shut the door on that. I want to see more out of him. Uh, kick return, it sounds like Keenan Davis is going to be one, which kind of, I kind of, I'm kind of surprised by it just because he's never, he's had an opportunity and he's never really kind of, uh, you know, taken it and run with it. And I used to say, I used to say before Saturday that uh, Greg Garman would be the other kickoff returner, but no uh, chance, uh, yeah, he's going in the safety deposit box. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, Marcus, I mean, they're in a whole lot of, of open spots this year, aside from you know, end is kind of a rotation, tackles rotation, halfbacks kind of a mess. But it seems that there are kind of set in stone starters here. Is if there's somebody on each side of the ball that isn't starting right now that you think will be be starting uh, uh, by by midway through the season? That's a great question. Um, I, I could see a receiver like uh, uh, Jacob Hillier maybe challenging the, the top two guys. Um, and, and this is just my impression and my opinion, and it could be way off. But to me it seems like Keenan has a hard has, has hard, a hard time finding his footing under Greg Davis. Um, I'm not saying he's in the doghouse. I'm not saying that at all. I think that, that, that he's a good team player and he gets it. It just in spring he, he didn't really do a lot in the in the uh, in the open scrimmage last week. I think he caught one pass. And, you know, it might be the fact that yeah they know what he's do what he's capable of and they're not going to mess around with him. But uh, you know the, the who who would be uh, when, when Davis mentioned speed at wide receiver. I mean the number one receiver coming back is Keenan. Um, that that had to be somewhat direct to him, maybe. Uh, and then Keenan took that to heart and lost like I think ten pounds over the uh, off season. So uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm reading something into nothing, but uh, uh, I think that gives at least a little bit of an opening for a guy like Jacob Hillier, who's done some nice things in the scrimmages. On defense, uh, you know, it's a little tougher. Um, I think anybody who shows anything on the defensive line, I don't, I don't see a, a white knight coming on the defensive line. A linebacker, I think it's pretty well set. If, if anybody gets hurt, you know, a fun player might be Marcus Collins. Um, he's, he's really, he's short, but he can move and he's pretty well put together. Uh, he's a fun looking player. Um, in the back end, I think it's set. I mean, I, I don't see anybody beating out anybody back there. Uh, except, you know, the split coin flip going on with Donatello and Nico. I, I wonder, I wonder if there'll be some creativity on defense. Um, you know, you, everybody read the big, uh, the hybrid piece from, um, Spark Football on Grantland and makes me think, you know, is there room for that kind of creativity with the way, the way Iowa plays defense? I mean, can they, can they have a, a personnel package where, uh, it's sort of the same defense, a 4-3, but is, is Nico Law sort of a, is he a Rome right. writer? You know, is he a, is he a, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's very interesting because it's also a concept that, that dates back to a couple of guys that Ferentz and, and Parker love in, in Saban and, and Belichick. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you're going to be able to pitch something that's completely unorthodox to Ferentz, those are two good names to be throwing at him while you're pitching it. So, yeah. Um, 
And you send me they have the thing. personnel for it. Yeah, you sent me that thing with the star and roll ride. I didn't. I never get a, got a chance to go to that, but I think it's somewhat like that, is it not? Yeah, no, that's that's kind of where where he kind of got the jumping off point for the piece. I think is that you know Saban says in that you know when he was playing when he was with the Browns with Belichick. Stop when this sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, that that they you know they had the Sam linebacker, and then they would have star defensive backs. So if they went four two five, mm-hmm. that the, the star defensive backs were the guys who would jump in to what was essentially the strong side linebacker role. So they'd play up front like a linebacker, but would have the cover skills necessary to be covering, whether it be a guy in the slot or a, or a, a quick tight end or, you know, a smaller tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they identified those guys early on and then focused them on, on that spot. Um, he says he has a, you know, Saban said he had a list every year of, of four or five guys. He's, you know, you're going to play the star position, and then they would work on that even more than working in a typical, uh, their typical position spot. Um, so I mean, if you're gonna, if there's gonna be some versatility here, and I think they're gonna try to do some different things just because of the way that that Phil has has uh, hinted at, at some stuff, and the way that Micah Hyde comes out and says, "I'd play cover one, you know, all the mm-hmm. time if I could." Mm-hmm. Um, there's certainly some different stuff going on here that we don't really know yet, and uh, that might be part of it. Yeah, that, that's going to be fun to watch all year. I mean, the, will we notice a, bit, a lot of the differences between Phil Parker and Norm Parker? It, maybe not. I mean, they might be so subtle, but but I, I love the, the idea of the creative thinking going on there. That kind of gives the game back to the players. Uh, you know, does Iowa go that far? Have they ever gone that far? You know, it's a good question. I don't think they have it. Yeah, not for a long time. I mean, they, you know, you and I have talked before about the the kind of pile of of uh, plays that Ferentz wishes he has back over the last 13 years. Mm-hmm. There was a play in the first game of their second season when they were playing Kansas State. Um, they were in it early in the in the half, and then they ran a, a, a zero cover safety blitz on the last play of the game or last play of the half. You have like a 45-yard touchdown pass, mm-hmm. and they haven't run one since. Like it was, <laughs> that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I wonder if if you know scrubbing the decks clean, bringing in some new blood might allow them to kind of ignore some of those things that they've built up over the last few years, saying you know, we're going to stick with the, the things that we know we can do well, and only that. And if that's not good enough to win, then so be it. Maybe they maybe they. They loosen up the strings a little bit now because the guys who are running the show aren't scarred by all those things that happened all that time ago. It could be. I also think uh, at the crux of what of Norm's, uh, you know, Bible or whatever you want to call it, his playbook, is keeping it simple and make, letting guys right. play violently and letting guys play without really thinking too much. Uh, I think that was at the bottom of everything for Norm. Uh, I don't think Iowa can sit back in that this year, and I think Phil Parker knows that. Uh, and, you know, when he comes out in February and says, you know, they're going to play cover one, they're going to play press man because they can't leave the defensive line out. I mean, he said this. He said this is almost verbatim. He can't leave the defensive line out to, out to dry like that. So they, they're going to have to help to support the defensive line with, uh, you know, a safety. They're going to have to leave the corners out there one-on-one with wide receivers. So they're going to have to trust the linebackers to cover or, or blitz or whatever they're asked to do. 
So I think, you know, in year one, Phil Parker, you know, the defense might not be pretty. and It could and probably will give us a lot of big numbers. But uh, I think he's going to be pressing a lot of buttons. And he's going to go down fighting. I mean, this is a guy who's yeah. – I stood next to him on the sidelines during games, the Michigan game last year. He's a guy who is – he's a screamer. And uh, he, he doesn't do it because he's crazy. He does it because, he, you know, that's his natural state, I think. And uh, <laughs> I think he's just a he's much more aggressive personality. Um, will, he, will he want these players thinking that much? I mean, that's the bottom line question. I think a lot of what uh, Norm asked is something that, you know, fans wanted to see out of, out of a defense is just be aggressive and play hard and don't think, just play within the scheme. You know, well, I think I think Phil's going to have to – he's going to draw outside the lines this first year because, uh, you know, what they lack in personnel they're going to have to make up for. Yeah, and, and and the one thing that they will do over and over again is blitz Micah Hyde because that looks beautiful. <laughs> that guy, there's I've never seen a cornerback look better in blitzing than Micah Hyde looks right now. He, he now, it is, could be. Yeah, <laughs> he's a tougher guy than people give him credit for. I mean, he, you know, I remember the last day uh, he got beat on the play where when Michigan took it down the goal line, but the guy had crawling his hands and needs to get back and get a piece of the tackle. So. You know, it happened right in front of me. I watched it, and I was like, wow, you know, that guy really hates to get beat and wanted to make up for it so badly. And, yeah, when, Pat, when he when he does blitz, he really gets up in the air. I mean, he's going to bat down a lot of passes this year if they, if they stick with that. No, that's, and that's exactly it. They, even if he doesn't get home, he changes things, which is more than you can say for a lot of, a lot of blitzers and other teams even that blitz a lot more than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to, to know – it's not just about getting to the quarterback, but it's about disrupting things as best you can. And, and he's been remarkably effective at doing it from the limited uh, amount of time we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, Mark, we've, we've kept you a lot longer than, than <laughs> no we want you on a, on a Tuesday night. We appreciate it. I, I'll, we'll let you go. All right. Um, and remind everybody, as always, they can catch Mark on his own podcast at On Iowa um, and every day uh, on his On Iowa blog and at the Gazette. Thank you, guys. I had a lot of fun. And, Ross, uh, good luck in Poughkeepsie. Poughkeepsie. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Take care. Thank you.